Hello, Relatable community. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I speak with Greg Amori, a very dear friend. I've known him for most of my life. Greg is the director of civilian agencies at CrowdStrike. Uh, Greg has been successful in the IT space for a long time. However, it wasn't entirely an easy road to get there. Uh, After dropping out of college, he found some success in the broker and trading business, although that was pretty short-lived. And then he worked as a bartender, which he says was a great learning environment for his now successful career in IT. Uh, He shares how and why being uncomfortable is so important for growth and how getting curious about things outside of his own interest has helped him to be a better version of himself. Thanks so much to Greg and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Relatable. This is Teresa Freeman. I'm here with Greg Amori, a good friend of mine, and the director of civilian agencies at CrowdStrike. Thank you so much for Thank coming. You. I've been uh, asking you to be on here for so long, probably since its inception, because I feel like you're someone who um, embodies a lot of the things that I want to talk about with people in terms of their path and how they've pivoted throughout their life and navigated their career. I feel like it's never a straight path, and there's sometimes a prescribed way of of how people can be successful and i'm here to sort of dispel that myth and and break down some barriers with that so i really appreciate you being here i know you're super busy and you're doing me a huge favor by doing this i really appreciate you having me on <laughs> sure you do <laughs> yeah, i hope uh hope your listener or viewer will <laughs> yeah. enjoy this. Yeah, exactly they will now now we'll like multiply our audience by like a <laughs> Um, all right, so the first place I want to start with you, we'll, we'll get to your current role, and I, I like to talk a little bit about a day in the life, right, in terms of what you do at CrowdStrike, but before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about you in terms of when you were graduating from high school and what um, you thought your future looked like or where you were in that moment in terms of uh, where you were headed. Okay. So just talk a little bit about who you were at that time and what was going on. So I don't think I had much of a clue. I went to, yeah, I went to college to hopefully play, play baseball. Um, I didn't get into very many places. I was a terrible student uh, in high school. I think I graduated, I don't know, close to the bottom of my class, uh, like a C average or something like that. So, you know, it's not like I got a whole bunch of uh, acceptances. Yeah. I was like 10, 1090 SAT or something like that. I might even be lying there. It might have been there, but um, <laughs> padded a little bit. But, um, History, you know. Yeah, just yeah, just a typical aimless kind of teenager, you know, product of divorced parents and, you know, just not a lot of direction. So I got to college. Um, wasn't good enough to play baseball uh, in college, so ended up... Uh, and I didn't really have any motivation to study one thing or another, so I started studying business. Yeah. Um, uh, at first, and then uh, you know, pretty much for the next year and a half, uh, kind of partied my way through school, and then um, my right after my sophomore, my second first semester sophomore year. Yeah. My dad drove down and said, "Hey, I want to take you to lunch." I'm like, "Oh, that's great." Um, and so he. Uh, he drives up, and um, so we're heading to lunch, and he hand, hands me these pamphlets. And I look at them, and it says, it's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. And I'm like, 
what what is this? He's like, well, I thought we'd go grab a bite to eat and then we could go by the recruiter's office because you're not good at school. You're not playing baseball. And I'm not paying for this anymore. So, by the way, I already told him I'm not paying for it. So you're done at the end of the semester kind of thing. Wow. So. How um, that hits you then? Like a ton of bricks. Like a, yeah. Can I swear? Sure. Okay. So like a good kick in the ass, you yeah. know, like, um, I wish, I looking back, I wish I actually had gone and done you know, one of the armed forces. I didn't do that. I ended up moving back up to Northern Virginia area and, um, you know, kind of working, um, doing different things. Let me ask you something just about the, like being an athlete and, and also like, I have known you for so long and, um, you know, you were someone that was always really popular, had a lot of friends. Um, I would say you were, you know, how do I say this? Like you were someone that like, <laughs> that like, you know, girls were always like had crushes on you, right? You were someone that was like very, I would say like successful in terms of like high school life. Right. And so would you say that to go from that? And I, I could be like projecting what I thought of you then you versus are. what your experience was. Yeah, you are. That's what it looked like from the outside. Like a guy that kind of had it together, mm -hmm. good looking guy, a lot of friends. Right. Of course. Yeah. And then, and then to go, did you, were you recruited there or were you a walk on like walk -on, in terms of yeah. your walk on? I, I, I tried out for fall ball. Yeah. Um, they, they, it was NAI schools, High Point University. Yeah. Had, so they had a fall ball. So I tried out for that and it just wasn't good enough. And did, so if that was my, my, uh, my view of you, like when you got there and does that kind of fall apart? Like you don't have that nucleus of support or the thing you thought you were good at now wasn't? Or was it more a maturity thing, do you think? Like you just got there and it wasn't the right time yet. Oh, I think it's, I think it's a maturity thing. So I, I completely disagree with you on- Really? Well, yeah, on the high school thing. Like, you know, so you know, I, I went to yeah. school in Virginia and then we moved to Mexico and I graduated from school in, in Mexico City. My time in school in, in Virginia, I, I hate it. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, my parents were going through a divorce. There was a lot of drama, you know. Yeah. I was lashing out in a lot of different ways, um, you know, in, in those first three years. The move to Mexico was great. It was like a fresh start kind of thing. Um, yeah. I didn't, you know, I had some decent friends in, in high school. Um, you know, I, I remember fondly, obviously. But then when mm -hmm. I got to Mexico, I really made some other good friends there. And I kind of wasn't... I don't know, acting out. It wasn't like rebelling kind of thing. Right? Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, let me just get through this. Um, and Were you sad to go to Mexico? Like, was that like, did you see that as a reset or was I did. it? Because that's hard. Like you were, yeah. it was after your freshman year, right? So. I left after my junior year. Oh. Yeah. So. No, no. Yeah. So. Oh, that was too, that was her. Yeah. I, I, well, so it was my mom and my younger sister who were going to go down to Mexico. And I thought, okay, well, they can't go down there by themselves, right? That, that oh. wouldn't make sense. I would have had an opportunity, I guess, to go with my dad at that point. But I, I kind of wanted to go down. Um, I thought it was a good idea. Sought for the experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now you're at High Point. Uh -huh. The pamphlet lunch <laughs> says you're not going to, he's not going to pay for that anymore. You come back here mm -hmm. and then how long, and tell us a little bit about that period of time in terms of for you. I, I also think about this for people. I, I suspect you're seeing your peers mm -hmm. 
moving on to other things yeah. and and graduating from colleges and getting jobs and tell me what that's like for you in yeah. terms because you you found like you're went in bartending and like probably made really good money right mm -hmm. so yeah. that you know, tell me just a little bit about that time period before you yeah so i mean fortunately i uh, supported parents or my mom anyway at the time so um i moved in i moved in with my mom and i was, remember it's like Shout out to Shirley, we love you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was probably nineteen, I think twenty maybe mm -hmm. uh, at that point. I don't want to live with your mom, right? Kind of thing. But um, I moved in, and then I got a job with Pan Am. If you remember that, like, yes, uh, it was a weird. It was a weird. Vaguely. Anyway, so I went and worked at Pan Am like part time. Went to Nova part time. Like airlines. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was. Um, I spoke Spanish a little bit, so they put me in these kind of roles where I was helping, uh, you know, Spanish speakers or whatever. Mm -hmm. and I did a bunch of different things. It was kind of a cool experience. Cool part is you fly everywhere for free, right? Yeah. So that was fun. Um, I did that for like a year, all the while going to school and paying for school at Nova, taking classes, stuff like that. And then I'm at lunch one day and I'm reading the Wall Street Journal. Don't ask me why I was reading the Wall Street Journal. It's just like... Is that a common occurrence? It was back then. I was always interested in, in the market and, and things like that. Like I had no money, but I was always interested in it. So I was always trying to like look at things and, and read what I could or whatever. So it was, it was kind of a common occurrence. There's a lady sitting at the same place where I'm having lunch, and she comes up and she's like, oh, you like the Wall Street Journal? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you know, what do you do? I go, I work at Pan Am. She goes... Um, you know, are you interested in the stock market? I mean, yeah, I always have been, blah, blah, blah. Right? So one thing led to another, and she invites me to go interview for this role for um, the order entry person. You know, so brokers got the trades. This mm -hmm. doesn't happen anymore, but brokers got the trades, and they put them on, um, they used to write out slips and bring them to right. them, and then you put buy or sell order and over right. whatever exchange it was. And so I interviewed for it, and I could type, and it was like, you know, it was a glorified, like, you know, order admin or mm -hmm. order entry person. That's all it was. But it was in the game kind of, so to speak, right? So, um, and then uh, they sponsored me for my Series 7, which is their license to sell stocks. So I went and did that. And I failed it my first time, passed it the second time. And then um, I went to, like, I got my license. And then they kind of moved me into... This sales role, right? Where you're picking up the phone and dialing. And right then is when we went to war the first time in Iraq, right? Mm. So equity markets kind of went out. There was nothing going on there. So I started bartending at night because I was making no money. Right. And so that, um, that kind of job is a commission based. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. Yeah. So um, I went to, I got a job uh, bartending and, you know, it was like two nights a week and then it was three nights a week, then it was four nights a week. And then I'm like showing up late for work and stuff like that. Cause you know, we get done at like one, two o'clock in the morning and had to be in, you know, 8 a.m. Oh, the next day. Right. So I said, okay, enough of this. I was having so much more fun and making money in bartending. So that kind of pivoted me to that, which was, I mean, I look back at that. That was an amazing experience. I mean, just in terms of looking across the bar and being able to read people and understanding them and human nature and all those different things. You, you mean bartending was an mm -hmm. amazing experience. Yeah. yeah. Like huge life lesson of you're, just... You're introduced to so many different walks of life, yeah. you know? It's like you get 
people from everywhere, colors, creeds, whatever, you know, yeah. um, and they come in. And so it, sometimes you have the opportunity to engage them and talk to them and whatever. Would you say that you are, uh, uh, like social, like in terms of it comes easy to you, like, would you be characterized as an extrovert? Do you think? I don't think so. I don't think I'm an extrovert. I think I'm more of an introvert. I like, I like engaging. I mean, that's the best part of my job. Yeah. Right? I, um, I like to, uh, I like to meet new people and I like to solve problems kind of thing. Yeah. But you put me into a group or a crowd of people and it's not like I'm the life of the party or anything like that. Yeah. Or, I'm, or I'm, you know, it's, it's, it takes work to then go out and, you know, make small talk and do those right. things. Yeah. Um, so interesting. And I think as a bartender, you're also kind of in control of the dynamic, right? Exactly. So you can decide who you want to talk to and you can decide right where that's going to go. And yeah, like that's a, you hit the nail on the head. You're in control, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you have the ability to spend, you know, 30 seconds or three minutes with somebody. Right. right? Uh, and it's an easy excuse. Oh, let me go do this. Let me go do, I have to go do this or whatever. And you can come back and forth as you, as you kind of see fit. So then how, when you're, when you're now doing that more full time and you're making good money, that's mm -hmm. hard to want to change that, I'm guessing. It was. Yeah. I mean, so I did that for like three years, a bunch of different places. Um, you know, you get into that, you get into that mode. What was that movie with Tom Cruise? where the day, That's it. Yeah. So where the days get, um, yeah. Yeah. Shorter and shorter. It's like, okay, you're waking up at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon kind of thing. It's like, oh, I've got couple hours before I have to go to work. You know? Right, right. So. And then um, I was something I was going to ask you about that period of time. But what then um, triggered a move for you to go back to school? Well, you brought it up earlier, right? So as I'm doing this, my peers yeah. are graduating college or going to grad school or going to law school or whatever and uh, and starting their careers, right? And there was a little bit of that. Um you know, peer pressure, if you will, and that's probably the most positive peer pressure you can get. Right. Um, a little bit of uh, FOMO, right? You don't want, Yeah. you want to keep up with the Joneses a little bit, I think, was probably my mentality back then. And so I said, but I also made the conscious choice, like, I, I got to start using my brain, right? You, I'm thinking, I'm, I think I'm better than this, mm -hmm. than what I'm, what I'm doing right now. I think I can, you know, I can do more than this. Right. And, and I love bartenders and I, I know bartenders yeah. I bartended with who are still bartending. Right. And they're great at their jobs and they they dialed it in, you know. Um, For they, you, though, there was something else that you wanted, something different or into your and to use your brain in a different way. Yeah. 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 And would you say that from a confidence perspective, you know, I'm curious about this with you, like in terms of going back and pursuing education or thinking about yourself in the context of being able to be successful in a conventional way, right? Mm -hmm. That isn't sort of like in the ways that you had been previously. Were you um, at all like worried about that? Like how, what was your confidence level going into that? Or at that point, because you had been through enough, did you feel like you, you because it was on your terms and you knew you were ready, yeah. was that less of an issue? It was less of an issue because, yeah. one, I always had this great fallback, right? Like, okay, yeah. worst case scenario, I go back to bartending. And I, you know, kind of, I'm, that's my lot in life, right? I yeah. want to be a bartender. And I always knew there'd be, and I, even while I was bartending, like I started a business called uh, 
collegiate alchemy, right? So we would go and do private parties for people and basically be bartenders for hire kind of thing. So me and a couple of buddies and we figured out, okay, you go rent glasses here, you know, for a dollar a glass and charge $2 a glass. And then, you know, okay, here's the, you know, hourly rates and all these different things. So we, it was like, okay, you go and make three, $400 a night at one of these parties, which mm-hmm. is like three hours long. Whereas if you bartend for eight hours, you make 300 bucks, right? right. Kind of thing. So right. I was always hustling kind of a little uh-huh. bit of thinking about different ways. I mean, you know, my friend Dave Snelling. Yes. Right? So Dave and I, in, in some period there, we started a business called Squeaky Clean Window Cleaning. And we were going around with ladders to people's residence houses and cleaning windows, right? So we were always kind of hustling and kind yeah. of, you know, even younger, right? Mowing lawns, shoveling snow. Does anyone do that anymore? Do, do kids do shoveling, that? Yeah, I think shoveling snow and mowing lawns. I think okay. they, I think it depends, like, maybe if they're from families, like, ours that like that's how you made like paper routes you know like that was kind of how you made your money but i would definitely say like around here anyway people Mm -hmm. that boys will go around and like try to shovel someone's driveway okay yeah i don't see that a whole lot in my neighborhood or for my kids yeah 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 they got bubble yeah the bubble um okay so you had an entrepreneurial spirit probably and i'm interested too on the competitive side so we'll talk about that because i think that fits into the sales mm-hmm. type world. And so we can talk a little bit about that in yep. terms of, does that like from a, the athlete in you, does it, is there something connection there? So then, um, so at what point, like how old were you when you decided to go back to school? 25. And you, um, you. Well, the side no. was probably 24, but then I went back at 25. To, to VCU. VCU. Yeah. And then, and you're paying for that on your own? Yeah, for that on my own. Because the first time, like even though you were committed and you knew this is what you were going to do. You didn't try to go back to the rents and say, hey, why don't you <laughs> hook me up? Or was yeah. that not even? No, I, I, I had saved up some money. Yeah. And then that got me, I think, my first semester. And then I applied for student loans and, and all that stuff. And then I was working the whole time. So, um, And living in Richmond? Is that and living in yeah. Richmond, yeah. West End. And then you were, uh, your degree is in business? My degree is in criminal justice. Ah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. I, I knew I didn't want to, my, my little stint with being a broker, great um, practical experience, but you know, Dialing for dollars was not my thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and who's going to listen to a 20, 21 year old kid anyway, you know, calling right. Um But I really, I, I ha- always had an interest in criminal justice. I, I got turned on to, um, at Nova because there were some criminal justice classes and it solved some elective or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I took, I had a really good professor there that was kind of motivating. I think we, you know, we did some class on gangs or something like that, which was, cool yeah uh, and VCU had a really good criminal justice program and I had a friend of mine who was down there getting his master's um, and so it kind of just worked out um, I always wanted I wanted to kind of go into intelligence or go into law enforcement or something like that okay. I, I thought at that time I, right yeah. and then what so then you graduated and then what was your first job out of school 
Well, so I got out of college and I applied everywhere, right? I applied to Secret Service, FBI. And you um, had some connections at CIA, yeah, right? So. Applied to Langley, applied to um, a number of others, yeah. right? And then, um, you know, they go, there's a long weeding out process uh, in those things, but I made it through most cases. And then the, the last step is really doing a background investigation. Um, which takes a long time. It still takes a long time. Um, so in the meantime, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? So I answered an ad, I think. Uh, it wasn't online. It had to have been in the paper or something like that, right? So um, there was a, a recruiter that was looking for people to do IT stuff, right? I can't remember exactly. So I answered his ad. They set interview up for me at a company called DLT Solutions. Um and I went in there and I, I met this amazing guy named Craig Abad, who um, was the co-founder of DLT. And he sat down and we talked and we joked around and we were talking about movies and this and that. I was like, that's a cool guy, he's really smart. And like, um, and so he explained the job to me is basically calling government customers and pitching them on different vendors, right? Or trying to set meetings up. So at that point I was like, okay, this sounds cool, right? Looked around the office, a bunch of younger people like me. so. I got into it and uh, by the time any of the places I applied called me back, I'd been there for like nine months and I'd made like twice what I would have made in the government, uh, you know, in that yeah. first year. And, and, and that tells you something right there. I think it's a great weeding out process, right? You know, rather go stand somewhere and take a bullet for, I think at the time it was 28K. You know, I'm over here making more than that. And I was like, okay, I'm money motivated and, uh -huh. um, and that type of thing. But I liked IT. I liked technology in general. Can't use it. I just sell it. Right? So, um, you can use it better than me, given the passcode exchange earlier. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. The rest, the the rest is honestly history. I mean, then, you know, I I was there for a while, and I left because I found out uh, this other person who didn't work nearly as hard as me was making more money than me, and that kind of pissed me off and I'm like okay so I started looking around and I went to the next place and like kind of doubled up right so went from here to here did that for like three years and then did the next thing and, and it was just kind of this um this ramp you know where so let's talk about the money piece and is that I guess the question I have now that you've been at this for a while mm -hmm. is that still the motivator mm -hmm. um and at like what point I guess for, from from a money perspective, is is there something where do you feel like okay now now I've I've been successful right like like is there some sort of mark right like you think of like an athlete going professional or you think about people in the entertainment industry and they get their first big check from a movie right so I'm curious for you like at what point were you like okay this is like this is kind of where I'm supposed to be. And I feel like I've been a success at this. And now you're motivated maybe by some other things. We'll talk about mm -hmm. what those are. I think the success bar moves, right? Yeah. So um, when I, I thought I was successful when I bought my first condo, Yeah. right? You know, 150K yeah. and you move in, you're on your own. Like, okay, I've got a mortgage now. And like, okay, I'm successful. Right. right? Like, uh, and then, you know, I, I think later on you know the bar moved again like okay well now i've got a wife and kids and i've got a job i like and now i'm successful right that's so i don't know to answer your question the 
the money side, yeah, early on, and I, it was the money for sure, right? It was important for me to make a living and to have, to be kind of financially stable. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's why I got married late in life too, right? Because I didn't want to have the worry about, you know, paying for kids and all these other things. So I wanted to have kind of a good nest egg before I actually got married. Learn to have things like the security and the place. security, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, so that was probably one of the reasons I, I I got married late in life too, or late in life later later on. Well, I think I don't know. I, I'm. I mean, I guess by all accounts, like I was almost. I think it was thirty when I got married. So how old were you? Thirty-seven. Yeah, so a little bit later. But don't yeah. you feel like you know who you are? For sure. Like you, like I, I'm a believer in like. It takes time to figure that out, right? Why would have been a terrible young dad? Right. Terrible, right? It's like, I don't even, I'm, you know, look at guys who are 21 to 25 and they right. have kids. I'm like, oh, I don't know how you're doing that. Right. I mean, with the stress of like trying to figure out like how you, how you can provide. Right. Right. And kind of be in the world, right? And be, be in the world yeah. and like, okay, you don't even know what you want to do at 25. Most people don't. It's like, okay, well, how am I going to have a wife and kids and all these different things or partner and kids, whatever it is. Right. right. So right. it's just, I don't know, that's more stress than I want. On the, on the, um, just in terms of you being successful, like once you got into that mm -hmm. field of work and you felt like you liked IT and clearly you were good at, at selling. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about what makes, make, what makes someone good at that, right? Like what has contributed to your success? I think listening. So it goes back to the whole bartender analogy, yeah. right? Because yeah. a lot of people, when they sit at a bar, they want to talk. They want someone to listen to them. And I was always pretty good at that. So you could build up regulars and stuff like that. Um, I, I honestly, so my motivation um, was to help people and to solve problems, right? So that, I'm wired that way for whatever mm -hmm. reason. I like to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that works very well in that industry. Um, if you're interested in solving problems, if you're really kind of, you listen to what the problem is, because mm -hmm. sometimes people think that there's a problem, but it's not really the, the real problem. It's something right. else. And so you have to listen for that and you have to understand, okay, you know, what your, what your outcome that you're looking for is not based on what you think the problem is. It's something else. Right. And so to be able to kind of, again, just listen to people and say, okay, and ask questions, um, and understand, um, you know, what it is they're, you know, they're going through, um, from an IT perspective or whatever. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my motivation. And if you make money along the way, then that's even better. You know? <laughs> right. And then how many times have you changed organizations? Like since you started, cause is, is it. <laughs> like eight. That's pretty wild. So. Is that common in your field? Yeah, I mean, some of those were, some of those were acquisitions, right? You get company buys out your company, and then you know either um, you go off and work at that new company, or you go off and uh, work somewhere else. Right. right. It's not, a, it's not that uncommon. Sometimes you're a victim of your own success too, right? Where okay, you have a territory that you're covering, and you do your job, and you sell that territory. You have nothing else to sell. It's like, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, you know, sometimes the, the expectations on you grow so rapidly that it's un, unattainable. So you have to go somewhere else. Or sometimes you just don't like the people you're working with or who you're working for. 
as you go somewhere else. Do you feel like for that for that many moves, I'm curious about your tolerance of risk, right? Because mm -hmm. you talked about being so, you know, kind of wanting to build that nest egg and mm -hmm. then have that financial security mm -hmm. and to be successful at these different organizations. And then like every time you move, right? It's like you've spent time building relationships, you've spent time cultivating for you clients, I'm guessing, right? Mm -hmm. So like there's an element of risk, right? Each time you move or is it you just, you know the situations that are the right situations to be successful and when you spot that that's not gonna happen, mm -hmm. you cut and run. Yeah, so I think, especially in IT, I'm not sure I know other verticals that are as similar, mm -hmm. uh, but in IT space, it is not uncommon to have to... multiple jumps, right? I mean, it. I mean, I think I'm actually on the low end. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, it spans 30 years now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I'm on, I'm probably on the low end of the, you know people in in this industry who do what I do um, tend to bounce around. You know, it's usually a three year run here or five year run there if you're lucky. Sometimes it's only a year. You know. How much um, stress is involved in the type of work that you do? Right, in a lot. a lot of stress. So if you work for you work for especially a publicly traded company, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an expectation to hit numbers, right. right? You have shareholders to answer to, um, and it's a kind of a team collective, right? So it's all who's rowing, who's not kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stress, and we we basically run our business. You know, it's we look at it from a quarterly, from an annual, from a multi-year uh, business, right? So we try and project out 36 months, but we're really focused on the next 90 days, right? In between quarters, right? Or during each quarter. So um, you project what you're, um, where you're going to end for that quarter mm -hmm. and then give guidance for the next quarter and so on and so forth. And there's a lot, there is a, it's a tremendous, it's not for the fate of heart. This is right. not a, it's not a business. And you can kind of fake it for a while. Um, you know, I think in sales in general, you can, you, some people just have the personality, they can go out and uh, they can be moderately successful. I equate it to going to college, right? Like if you showed up for class in college, you kind of guaranteed to see, right? Same thing with sales. If you show up, it's like, okay, if you're actually doing some, uh, some port of work, you're going to do okay. Mm -hmm. And by okay, that's, you know, that, that, much better than 90% of the rest of the people in the world. Right? right. Right. Because of, you know, the salaries and commissions and stuff like that, that are in this, in this field. So let's talk about, before we talk about your current role, because I, I know a little bit, but not a lot. And I think it's going to dovetail this other thing I want to talk to you about. But like in terms of your last role before where you are now, mm -hmm. just by like talking with Sue, right? Mm -hmm. like, like that was very stressful for you, right? So in terms of the like, like I guess the exit of that situation or, so just talk a little bit about like, um, how do you manage that, right? Because because of all that pressure to, to deliver and to, um, it's so cutthroat, right? And, and it's interesting as someone who's in HR and has had to manage employee issues across the gamut, when it comes to salespeople, it was actually from an HR perspective a little bit easier because mm -hmm. it's very clear, either you did it or you didn't do it. There's yeah. not a lot of like behavioral nuance. Mm -hmm. It's either like, so from that perspective, like I like the transparency and the clarity. It's either like you did it or you didn't, but then obviously the pressure of what that brings of, if you don't do it or you can't do it and there's like nowhere else to point, right? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of, 
<laughs> so how do you how do you like deal with that stress or how do you manage that or what when you talk about being resilient like what are some of the ways that you do that so i think he first of all it's perfectly fine to fail like you're mm -hmm. going to have there's no one in my industry who's successful all the time yeah right? you're going to have bad quarters bad years um the important part is to keep kind of moving forward mm -hmm. and and if you're introspective enough where you can understand why you weren't successful yeah um you know the the, the people i admire in my business are the ones that have a plan and try and execute on that plan, but then they go back and they rejigger that plan because <laughs> something's not working or something is. So I think life is is a roller coaster. I mean, yeah. it is, right? There's ups and downs when your professional life is hitting a high, your personal life is going in a ditch and you know, trying to find that equilibrium yeah. between the two sometimes can be challenging, but the point is in both, you just kind of keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, and you keep, you know, don't dwell on the past too much. Learn from the past, but don't mm -hmm. dwell on it. And try to keep, uh, you know, try and keep a positive attitude as much as you can. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This, that's kind of. Do you think that, let's talk a little bit about the competitive nature of it, right? Mm -hmm. Given that, like, you have that background. Yeah. Is that a motivator too? Like, is there still something in you yeah. that's like, I want to, I want to beat that whatever it's self-imposed, right? It can be yeah. self-imposed goals or, or like, right. or whether you actually have competitors in your field that you're like, oh, we want to beat that. Kill them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Um, absolutely. That's a huge motivator for me. I, I personally like the hunt, you know, kind yeah. of the, the chasing the customer, talking to them. Like working. dating? Um, <laughs> I'm talking business here, but yeah. anyway, so yeah, I like, I like the, I like yeah. the hunt. I like going yeah. and, you know, targeting the, the right customers mm -hmm. and understanding what they do, what motivates them, what are their priorities, those types of things, going in and talking to them and saying, okay, here's, you know, let me talk to you about your issues, hearing yeah. what they're saying and then have a response to that. And hopefully it's something that they think and agree with. And along the way, have you felt confident about what it is that you're offering? I, I suspect like it's, or is there times when you haven't and you've had to like. Yeah. I, so I guess I, there's not a, I, I think you have to believe in what you're, what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you have to be a really good liar. Yeah. Right. And I'm just not. So mm -hmm. like, I have to believe in the technology. I have to see it work. I'm very careful about when I go out and interview and, uh, I, I don't just take the word of the person I'm talking to at the company. I go out and talk to customers. I talk to partners. I talk to other people who have experience with that technology and get their feedback, right? Because that's where you really uncover the truth. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what you're going to experience. In terms of what you're going to experience. Yeah. So yeah, I I think. Um, Let Let's talk about your sojourn. So like you left before you started at this organization, you went and did this cool. The sabbatical. Yeah, I want to tell me about that. Tell me about your decision to take a sabbatical and what you did with that time. Yeah. So my that's not entirely normal, right? No, to say I'm gonna, no, it's not. Yeah. I mean, so and this is the you know life lessons, right? You shouldn't should never make decisions about for money, right? As the the primary decision maker, it's it's obviously a factor, but it's not the primary. It shouldn't be the primary one. The last job I had, I was in it for about three months, and I was going to leave. Right? And then 
Um, I was going to go tell my boss, who was a, a friend of mine who I worked for before, and said, look, this, this isn't for me. This is not working out kind of thing. Um, and then I don't want to get into too much detail, yeah. but he gave me some specifics on, on – he told me something before I had a chance to tell him, and I did the, kind of the mental math in about uh, you know three seconds. So, okay, well, I guess I can gut it out for a year kind of thing. And that's was a, that was the wrong mistake because I was motivated by money, right? And I shouldn't have done it. I should have left. And that next year took a huge mental toll on me. Um, and I didn't. Th- I don't know why it was so. It just did. And so I started planning for the sabbatical. I knew it was coming. I knew I was going to be. I wasn't going to be there very long. So I started kind of just putting money aside, um, and started thinking about what I was going to do during this mm-hmm. time. And just kind of. Karmically, my brother-in-law called me up and said, hey, we're doing this big hike in Wyoming. Would you be interested? And I'm like, sure, you know, without even knowing anything about it. Um, and so, and then it was so funny. I'm, I'm sitting at my kitchen table and my boss at the time, um, we had a Zoom call. And I hadn't, I joined and I wasn't on video or on, on I was on mute too. And I see the HR guy pop up. And I start screaming at my wife. I go, I'm getting fired. This is awesome. Right? And she comes in. She's, we're all jumping up. She knew how miserable I was. Right? Yeah. So I was just so excited. It was like, it was perfect timing too. It was like, so I was ecstatic. Right? I mean, you know, how many times you hear about people ecstatic about getting fired? I was ecstatic. It was fantastic. And so I, um, I went off and, you know, I started executing my sabbatical plan. Which, yeah. You know, kind of hard to fill up six months, right? That was my plan through six months. And so started working out, started training for this big hike. The, the hike was in Wyoming called the Wind River. Um, high route, the Wind River High Route is what, okay. what it's called. Um, Andrew Skirka, for those of you who know who he is. Um, anyways, my brother called and asked if I want to do this. I said yes and started looking into it. And it's really physically challenging, right? So you have to carry you know, 12 days of food on tents and all the stuff. It's like you're out in the wilderness. And you're not really, but prior to this, like, would you say you're a big outdoor, oh, no. No. <laughs> like, adventure guy? It's I not. Mean, yeah. I mean, outdoor if you mean the Ritz, right? <laughs> you're right. right. That, I'm good at I'm, I was good at good. that. Yeah. But one of the things on my list of during this fact was I want to make myself uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I have lots of ideas on how to do that, but that happened just to, to be jumped kind of, out at me. I'm not a big camper. I do like it now, by the way. But really? I, I, yeah. at the time, I hadn't done much camping. Uh, certainly not much backpacking, where you you know carrying food and stuff like that. So that was kind of the fun, right? So you you have to go and plan this thing out, and there's a ton of preparation that goes with it. Physically, yeah, you have to go get in shape and all these things, but then you have to buy the right gear, which is the fun part, right? It's, yeah. You spend a lot of money on. Things, things that you, yeah that you use gadgets gadgets that, exactly yeah. so really enjoyed that but and i you know i did this with my brother-in-law so that was great because we'd have like zoom calls um were you guys already pretty close like but like or did you really get close after this experience you know what i mean like to well, have so my shared experience my brother my brother-in-law two of my brother-in-laws and my nephew live in hawaii so i don't get to see them very often but when we do see them i have a great time yeah. love them they're great human beings um my other brother-in-law um, lives not that far along, and we actually used to work together. Um, and he and I are close. Yeah. So 
that that was great. So I'm going, I'm doing this thing with a bunch of my, you know, really cool people and yeah. people I really like. So that was easy. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a great adventure. And it was a, how know, long was how long are you out there for? We're out there for twelve days. And how like what was the give us give us some highlights. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information. The first day we hiked for 15 miles in the rain, eh, that wasn't so bad. You're kind of still motivated and kind of excited. Yeah. And then we, I'll make a long story short, but long the first peak we had to climb, we didn't get there till later in the day, whatever day it was, it was the second day. So we had to camp at the bottom of it and then climb it the next morning, which we did. Beautiful day, nice clear skies. There were lots of fires out that um, kind of Tahoe, California area, and we'd see some of that smoke, but it was just perfectly clear. And so it takes about five hours to climb up this peak, right? Which you're going from, I don't know, 10,500 10, up to like 13,500, right? But it's like this. Um, and so all the way going up, and it's it's great. You know, it's just it's hard, but it's just you're going like, uphill, yeah. right? Just before you get to the, the very top, all hell breaks loose. And this huge storm comes in, all this hail, and wind is gusting like 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, and we're at the top of this peak. And now we have to go down the other side. You can't camp up there. You have to go down the other side. And so we hunkered down for like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to an hour trying to let the storm pass, and it didn't. It just kept coming. And so we finally decided, okay, we, got, we just got to go. We had to get away, get down, yeah. right? Uh, worst case, we have to just get down somewhere where we can set up camp and, you know, get warm again. And and I'm thinking, what the hell did I sign up for? Like, Why did I do this voluntarily? So when you're going down, it, it's hard enough going up, but going down when there's snow and ice and stuff like that on all these rocks that you have to climb over, you know, I'm a big fat guy. So it's like, okay, like, you know, you any, any one yeah. slip at the top of this thing, and curtains well i mean it's like yeah. you're stuck up there and then i don't know how you i mean i mean we had like emergency beacons and stuff like that but like who's gonna come get you in that right 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 so i think worst case scenario you're probably stuck up there for a day right you know with a broken ankle or whatever and just ruins the trip for everyone so i had those moments and um after, plus you're at altitude, so you, you know, you're not feeling well. Not right? feeling well. It's like it's really hard to kind of breathe and stuff like that. But you know, is it that. the most physically demanding thing you've ever done? Yeah. And were you um, were you prepared, like in terms of you, the working out and the prep you had done? Like, mm -hmm. did you feel like you had done enough, or was there like, could you? Not that I did the right things, right? Really? I was doing a lot of hiking and you know putting. Um, uh, rucksacks on, you know, rucksack mm -hmm. is like right. backpack. It's like a weighted, okay. like either weighted vest or a weighted pack. And I was doing a bunch of hikes, like, but it was all flat. And I try and do, I do stairs and stuff like that. Finally, my wife suggested I get on the treadmill and turn the incline up, which that was really that was what I should have been doing the whole time, um, just to get that vertical. Just to get that vertical. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I don't think you can really train for the altitude, like the lack of oxygen. Not practically anyway. Yeah. Um, but you, so you have to focus on cardio. Did you have to do a lot of like digging deep to like 
get through stuff, you know, like in terms of just like that emotional fortitude of like, because you kind of like you have your buddies there, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's on you to get you from point A to point B. Yeah, right? it was, it was, there's moments like, especially, so a lot of these, like we go, um, through these passes, mm -hmm. right? So peak here, peak here, and there'll be a pass in between. And it sounds like, oh, it's a pass. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like really steep and it's hard. And then you get to, you know, the top of the pass. And then it's like, now you're going down the other side. Going down the other side was almost harder. It's just yeah. harder on your knees. And like, yeah. you, you also don't have the stability that you do going up. Right. Yeah. And you got like all your stuff, right? All your, all your gear. So the weight of like 40 yeah. pounds of your back. And it's like, okay. So it was mentally, I mean, physically it was exhausting, but on the, usually on the downhill slopes, it was more mentally exhausting because you're watching every foot. Yeah. And... You had mentioned before we started this, that it was transformational. Just talk for a minute about what, what, like in terms of bef Greg before and Greg after, what do you think, how did it impact you? Well, I think, it, I mean, I outside think outside of that kind of physical I think the year leading up to that yeah. was a bit transformational as well. Like, again, I said early on, like, I could gut this out, you know, yeah. for, and that was work, right? You gut anything out for a year um, is kind of was my mentality, but I didn't realize how big a toll it played on me. But that was more like I can get anything on it from a physical step, standpoint, right? right? Um, and all my brother-in-laws are in much better shape than I am. And... You know, I would tell him, I was like, I'm not good. I'll be the last guy, but I'll get there, right? right. We'll, eventually, I'll get there kind of thing, right? So just putting one foot in front of the other and just like, okay, you know, timing your breaths and doing all those things. But So I think the life lesson or if anything I learned was mm -hmm. like, just, you know, you don't have to go 100 miles an hour. You can go at, at a snail's pace or your pace or whatever, and you can still get to the same goal. How does it feel to go back after having that break, that it's six great. months? Yeah, no. You, were you ready? Yeah, were, yeah. You know, did you start to get bored? I, I started to get... Not bored, but maybe like need a purpose, need a mission. Intellectually curious, right? This yeah. is what I said. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not... The thing I missed the most was the interaction with all the different people, and I didn't have that as much. I was still having lots of lunches with friends and things like that, but I wanted, I wanted to go back into you know did you I think about at. starting your own business i did yeah i came really close so what what was the like deciding factor to not do that i mean you know i was talking to um i, I, I there's a lady who works at google who i i really love and respect and think she's great and i want to go work for her and then i was talking to her and then i went on this hike and i listened to this podcast um can I sit in the podcast? Yeah. Okay. It's called 20 Minute VC. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of it? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, I listened to this podcast and they were interviewing George Kurtz, who's the CEO of my company now. And I, I knew CrowdStrike. I, had some, I knew some people there. I certainly knew the technology a little bit, but I, I didn't know George. And I started listening to his podcast. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool guy. Like, he's not your typical kind of IT CEO. Mm -hmm. Super smart. Yeah. But that's not his whole shtick. He's like, you know, not one. Uh, one-sided I guess and you know myopic in terms of what he's doing he's got all these other things he's doing as well so I was like wow this is this is really interesting I make a metal note to to reach to, to make some inquiries kind of right thing. the next day I get a call and it's from a, stop it it's from a friend who knows um this other guy we know saying hey just so you know it looks like they're looking for somebody um and you should reach out I'm like oh okay and I was That's, like, this is karma. Yeah. Right? So 
and that's kind of how it worked out, right? So I put Google on hold, and but I was gonna go do, yeah, I was gonna start a reseller, yeah, a government reseller, kind of where I got my start. Oh, interesting. And just kind of really, really niche, like mm -hmm. be focused kind of on cybersecurity specifically, and and. And nothing else. Okay. So. All right. I know we have you have somewhere to be. So I, just two two things. One, um, you've talked a little bit about it. I'm wondering if there's anything else. You mentioned listening and active listening, right? Mm -hmm. I've talked a lot about soft skills on here. Yeah. So from a, from your life experience and the work that you do, is there anything else that you would say outside of which is my favorite? Actually, is active listening. But um, if you think about influence and collaboration and just communication in general, or or Anything that you see either in your teams, right, that helps them to be successful in the soft skill space, what would you say is like one or two of the most critical that you believe are important? So I've had this conversation with a lot of my peers, right? We, we joke like, um, you know, what are your hobbies? And I was like, I don't have any hobbies. Like, I can't really call golf a hobby. I guess you could, but I don't play it enough to call it a hobby. Right. So we said, okay, you know, outside of like going out to meet people and have lunches and happy hours and stuff like that. Like, what do you do? It's like, well, I don't know. Like I, I collect, uh, I collect friends kind of things. Like I collect acquaintances. Um, I think it's really important. And sorry, not answer the question correctly, but, um, from a soft skill perspective, yes, active listening is huge. There's the, the point I was trying to make poorly was that it's, it's not, um, I don't think it's true that you are born with curiosity or not, right? There's been a big question I've been asking myself. Like, cause I don't ever feel like, I never felt like I was a very curious person. Mm -hmm. How does this work? How do you do that? Because I think those people are the tinkerers, right? And then, and then the ones who fail often, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And they fail, right? Like baking or right. woodworking or whatever it might be. They're curious about how that gets done. Right. But if you're not curious, you're not going to do it, right? So I've always felt like I just didn't, I wasn't all that curious. Like I was kind of, uh, okay, this is this is who I am or whatever. But I think lately, I've uh, certainly over the last couple of years, I've become much more curious. Like I am yeah. wondering, okay, how does that work? How does this microphone actually work? And what, why is it pointed this way, not that way? And all these different things. Kind of a stupid thing. I get that was. Um, <laughs> but yeah. in terms of, and so I think being curious, mm -hmm. uh, and that can, that can love that. show up in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're sitting there wondering about this or that. It could be like, just look at something and say, okay, well, how's that made? How's that, why does it work that way? Or, or why does that person think this way or whatever? And trying to drill down to it. Um, and it sounds like too, just being curious beyond your own interests, like yeah, beyond yeah. your own scope of what you know and what you want. It's, it's so like, easy. It's yeah. like, you know, we, we talk about, I don't know if this could parallel, but like, you know, we're bombarded with stuff from both sides of the aisle these days, right? right? And um, I was having this nice conversation with this lady, and um, she was saying how she makes it a point to watch like Fox News and CNN. You know, she listens to BBC and Al Jazeera. She listens, you know, all these different things, right? Because she doesn't want to get, she wants to get information from all sides and then have it informed, you know, be able to make yeah. an informed decision based off of that. Um, I think that's very true in, you know, for a yeah. lot of different things, right? I mean, I think you want to, want to be, yeah, you want to, yeah, I like watching baseball all the time or something like, you know, maybe it's right. a bad example, but you, you love baseball, but hey, why don't you look at hockey too or, or try that out? Or yeah, I, I like to cook brownies, but let me make 
Chuck Chuckies. <laughs> I like it. Diversify. Diversify. All right. And then the last thing I would ask you um, is around the advice that you would give your younger self, given the path that you have taken. And a lot of people say, and I agree with this, right? I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything because it's made me who I am mm -hmm. and a believer in that things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I definitely believe that. I also think that you can give counsel that maybe it would have made it a little bit easier or, you know, something that now with the experience that you had in the life experience, maybe someone similar to, to you at a, at that kind of 20 to 25 age, right? Mm -hmm. What, what would you tell them or what would you tell young grad to kind of make things a little bit easier? I don't think I, I would, I would tell myself to be more considerate. Like I, I think, my younger Greg was not as good a version as my older Greg. Yeah. Probably a lot of people feel that way. But yeah. um, I think I was in a hurry in a lot of cases, right? I do things and, but, you know, how you treat people is very important. Um, and I probably didn't treat people the best way when I was younger or as best I could have. Right. Whereas now, so I think that's something that I would tell myself. Yeah. I so appreciate that. And I should say, for the record, you were so kind when... Um, Paul was going through his stuff and you're always checking in with me and so some stuff. So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. See, you yeah. are very considerate. You matured. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate it. Thanks you were great. Me. Thank you, Greg. Uh, I really can't thank you enough. I have been asking you to do this uh, podcast with me for a long time because I feel like you're such a great example of someone who's had to pivot and make a lot of changes as you've navigated your career. So I really appreciate your time. Loved your candor and your vulnerability about being aimless and then figuring out your path. I loved what you said early on in the interview about active listening and how that's been a critical skill for you to be successful. I could totally agree. Active listening is my favorite of all the soft skills. And then really, I appreciate your counsel and your advice on how when you throughout your life had made decisions solely based on money how they didn't necessarily work out the way that you wanted them to. So I just appreciate all that counsel and great advice. Thank you to Missy and Hannah for your support in producing this episode. And thank you to our Relatable community, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite listening platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. You can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor at www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.